Okay, uh, so there's a lot to cover. Um, I want to do all 44 verses tonight. Um, and so, and typically when you do this uh, picture of David and the wife of Nabal, uh, and you do this study uh, of Abigail and David and Nabal, uh, it always begins in, uh, in verse 2, because verse 1 doesn't seem to fit the narrative, and you're just going to pick up a study of this entire story about how uh, Abigail saves her husband's life and saves David's career and reputation, and how she intercedes, and a lot of people say that this is a, a, a picture of the Holy Spirit interceding. Uh, it's not typical that when you see typologies in Scripture that a female would be used in the picture of, of the Holy Spirit. But either way, you see an intercessor. You see uh, there, there's a bunch of things that you can infer or take away from in the passage. But I, I get burdened when they remove chap, uh, the verse, verse 1 of the chapter in doing the narrative because I think it's telling. And, and I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. But it, it's definitely telling now. If you're going to glean wisdom if you're younger uh, from verse 1 about how life works, and you better put your hat on and, and store this because you're going to need it if you're young. Um, this is wisdom that all I can tell you is I've gleaned it from experience. Um, and, li- and, and for some of you are young, you, you get verse 1, and tragically so. And, and how it applies to the remainder of the passage. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word and guide and direct us, we pray. Lead us into all truth and transform us by your living word in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse one, then Samuel died. Just those three words right there. I want you to think of the person you love the most, the person who's had the greatest influence in your life, the person who has the most significance in your life, and what your world would be like if they were dead. If you got the call tonight that, that they died, um, you know, this, this, this past year for me was rough. You know, uh, my godfather died. He was special to me. My mentor, Dr. Crilly, died. A couple of years ago, my mother died. My dad is on, on uh, hospice. Um, I remember I was sitting with Brett with a staff member, um, who'd said, you said this, this, and this. And I said, I don't remember ever saying any of that. No, no, you did. I called you and you were driving back from San Diego. And I said, I, I don't remember a word of what you're relating to me. Now, that's you know, not uncommon. I might forget some things, but, but to forget that is there's something seriously wrong with me. I should be in a hospital. And what he, he was relaying to me and sharing with me was, was so specific and, and bef- as God is my witness, I don't remember a word of the conversation. And it was Brett or somebody else in the room as we were sitting down who said, when was he driving back from San Diego? I said, oh, his mom was sick or something, or maybe she, and, and Brett goes, was it this weekend or that date? And he said, yeah, and he goes, his mom died. I don't remember the drive home. There are times you don't even know you're going through mourning, you're, even going, you're going through trauma, just, just have your world rocked a little bit. I didn't even think I missed her. And she died, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I deal with death all the time. She's on to heaven. Praise the Lord. I remember four weeks later, I'm driving back from San Diego. We had taken care of some affairs of, of her estate, and I'm driving past 6th Street. I just saw that sign, 6th Street, and it over, I just began to weep. I didn't even know why, and I thought about it. Said, That's the exit I would take to go to Sharps Hospital. 6th Street, come on. So Samuel died. Who was Samuel? Samuel was the one who anointed David to be king. Samuel was 
So Samuel was a connection to the Lord of, of everything that was promised to David. And David is in the middle of a trial of his life. And Samuel was always that reminder that it's going to be okay. Samuel was the one who was always pointing him to the promises of God. Samuel was that reminder of a greater generation, of a time gone by, of, you know, when I'm standing before my godfather, who's speaking of being a survivor of the Great Depression and Pearl Harbor and all those other things, that's a connection with a time gone by of a greater nation where he's speaking to me out of the strength of that past. That's Samuel to David. David's gone. Excuse me, Samuel's gone. And, And it... It affects David. Verse one, don't dismiss it and don't start the narrative without it. And for you younger folks, get ready because your world's gonna be rocked. You don't live forever. And the parents that you hate right now are someday gonna be gone. And you're gonna realize you really didn't hate them and you miss them. You know, of all the apps on my phone, I, I was, I, one of my friends was sharing with me and I, and I thought about it. Of all the apps on my phone that changed my life, most of them don't change my life. And you, you, you know, this app or that app, they're actually kind of, they make it more complicated. Or, or they, they're a waste of time, meaning that I, I get sucked into some worthless game or something like that. The only app on my phone that changes my life is a countdown app. A countdown app of when my two boys are out of the house. And that's, that's not something I'm looking forward to, mind you. But when they graduate from high school and the house is empty. And every day you wake up and you see that clock ticking and you see how valuable every hour is and how little is left. Every day you wake up and think, when he says, let's go throw the football, you're like, you know what, maybe we should go throw the football. And all I got to tell the young folks in here is, is time flies and the people you love are gone. And that app means something to me because you measure your life based on that. So, so verse one, Samuel died. Everybody's going to pass. You want to spend time that's meaningful? Then spend time. Don't take it for granted. And the Israelites gathered together to lament for him and bury him at the home of Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So, so David gets up and he's just overwhelmed. And he goes down to Maon or, or Paran is another way to, to describe it. And now there was a man in Maon. So when he goes down to Paran or he goes down to Maon, when he gets down there, his, it was, uh, his business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and there's another picture of it that you see uh, in verse three of who this guy was, but he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel and the name of the man was Nabal. Uh, you, you know the, the, the meaning of the name? Fool. I mean, there are some kids when they're born and they're given a name, you're like, that was a great name for that kid. And in the Hebrew mindset, you always name the child based on an early characteristic you'd see. Jacob was heel catcher, deceiver, supplanter. Esau meant Harry. He came out Harry. They called him Harry. Uh, every kid has a name. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, the Indian chief talking to his son. He says, Grandpa, or he says, Dad, how is it that the, the children get their names in our tribe? He says, it's a, it's a very uh, deep cultural um, tradition. He says, when the child is born, the father holds the baby in his arms, opens the door of the teepee, looks out, and the first thing he sees, he names a child. So, for instance, your sister is named Running Bear, and, and your, your brother is named Flying Eagle. Why do you ask this of me, dog going to the bathroom in the woods? <laughs> I just thought maybe you'd catch that. So the, the picture is, you, you name the child based on the characteristics. This, this kid's name is named Fool. And, and, and the child's born, and they're like, what are we going to name this little fool? Hey, good idea. Why they named him fool, I don't know why, but he obviously, maybe it came later, maybe they waited a couple years. 
The kid just didn't get it. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. He, you know, he, he couldn't figure out how to get that last piece of meat off of the shish kebab without choking himself. <laughs> see, son, you, this way, you see? Uh, uh. Fool, just didn't quite get it. Are you working with me here? Stay with me. Come on. You can see that in the kids when they're young. You're like, that, he's not sharp. That boy's not right. When he's trying to choke himself with a shish kebab stick with that last piece of meat, he can even turn it around and still not choke. Do, do you see? Okay. So his name was Nabal, and his, his wife's name was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. It's one thing to have a woman who's you know, got some discernment, and, and she's got character, and she's lovely on the inside, but to have that combination, it's like, you know, you it's just all the combo. The, you are so smart. Wow. All of that together is Abigail. And she was a beautiful woman of good understanding. And, you know, people say, well, beauty's only skin deep, but ugly goes to the bone. She, she was beautiful all the way to the bone. It, it was beautiful in her character, beautiful in her countenance, beautiful every aspect of her. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. Uh, he was of the house of Caleb. I love what it says in the, in the King James Version, uh, not the New King James, but in the King James, it says he was churlish and evil in his doings, churlish. Also, have you ever heard, uh, you know, they railed against me. I got railed on. Have you ever heard that? It comes from this passage of scripture. This is the King James. This is where you get that, 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 that phrase that we use in the English language. It comes out of the interpretation out of this passage of scripture. But that's in the King James Version, not the New King James so when David heard uh, in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, greet him in my name, and thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, peace to all you have. I mean, you know, as John was talking about uh, protocol in Japan, and you, we don't do this in Japan, everything that David is laying out is, is Hebrew protocol. This is how you're polite. This is how you approach you express how we've cared for you. You're thankful for what you're doing, but David is coming to get, be given what is due him for the protection of Nabal's sheep. And, and so he says, peace to all that you have. Now I've heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us. David's m- making them, you know, reminding him, your, your shepherds were with us. We protected them. Do you remember that? Uh, and and uh, there, was, there wasn't anything missing from them while we were in Carmel. Ask your young men. They will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. But we come on a feast day. I mean, this is a biblical feast day. Uh, We've been helpful to you. Uh, We care about you. We're just asking for something on a feast day where the tribes of Israel, together we do this. Are you tracking me, Nabal? And and he tells the the young men, this is how you approach him. And and go ahead and ask your servants. They'll, They'll testify to everything I'm saying. Please get whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. Whatever comes to your hand, whatever you feel comfortable giving, you know, go ahead and give that. And, and you know, well, David uh, protected my sheep. I'll give him one, but I don't mean to be giving him anything. And there's, there's uh, you know, what's the cost of having someone guard your sheep uh, in the course of a day? What's labor? If you even want to meet it out on what is owed him. If, if you're not a generous person, you don't want to come back with a greater gift. I was at a, a luncheon one time with a, a guy named Hassan, uh, a, a business developer in Beverly Hills, and I, I think it was a Republican women's thing, and I spoke at this, and, and I commented to him how beautiful his tie was. And he had the warmest smile, lit up the room, very, uh, just a neat gentleman. I told him what a lovely tie it was. I mean, it really was. It was blue and white. It was, it, it just, mad. his eyes were blue. It was a, just a great combo. 
I just said, man, that looks great on you. He says, thank you very much. He was beaming. He didn't take compliments well. He got kind of, you know, flushed by it a little bit. And I, it was my turn to speak. I spoke. When I came back, he was gone, and the tie was sitting on, the, on my seat. I ran into him later, and I said, I didn't have your address. And uh, he, he said, I said, I wanted to send you a thank you note. And he said, well, here's my you know, phone number we can, in my, my email, my address. And he gave me a card, and I said, thank you. And I sent him a gift certificate to buy three ties at a nice place, you know, enough to buy three ties. I don't know where he got that tie or if I could afford what he, but I like the ties that were at this store, and I sent it to him. That's the idea. You can't outgive each other. There's supposed to be a generosity level in this. And so David is just saying, I've served you. Maybe you could give me a little in return. I got guys that are hungry. Um, it is a feast day. I don't want to go into detail, but quite frankly, my mentor died. Uh, I'm a little sad. I'm looking forward to maybe cashing in some of the chips that I've, I've earned protecting the citizens of Keila, protecting you and Carmel. Um, could you help me? And uh, so David's young men came. They spoke to Nabal according to all these words in, in the name of David, and they waited. So they shared these things, and they waited. Now, the idea of waited means that Nabal was very rude to them. He, he left them standing there. They had to await his answer. It wasn't like he came running out or he was so thrilled to provide for them. Uh, he couldn't wait to lavish upon them all the things that they had done. He didn't do that. Instead, David, uh, David's men had to sit there and wait for Nabal to make them feel minuscule, make them feel as though they were waiting for a handout. They had to stand there with their hat in their hand. He made them feel uncomfortable. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? He knows who he is. He said, who is David, the son of Jesse? They didn't say anything about Jesse. He knew he was the son of Jesse. He knows exactly who he is. He even knows his story. He knows that Saul's chasing him. He knows everything about David. He turns the tables and he uses all of the, the trials that David's up against to his advantage not to have to make good on, on a kindness that was extent, extended to him. It's amazing how quick we are to receive a gift and how, how slow we are to give one. We love people being generous to us, but we're not generous to others. When we're wronged, we love vengeance. We love... And, and yet here, he just makes a mockery of David in front of David's men. I love this. It says that David's men turned on their heels and went back. They didn't contend with him. They didn't argue with him. They didn't say, what are you, what, you know, they were all trained just like David was. And they just turned on their heels, heels and walked away from Nabal. And as they're walking away, they came back and they told David all these words. David said to his men, every man gird a sword. Here's how it worked. The guys come back and they're like, you know, David's already got the sauces prepared for the lamb kebabs. He's excited about this. They're going to have a huge feast. He sees the guys coming over the hill and they, they got nothing. They got bubkiss. Nothing. David's like, did you talk to him? Yeah, we talked to him. What'd he say? He said, who's David? I'm, I'm sorry, what? He said, who's David. It's like he, he just pretended he didn't know, although he did invoke your father's name and he talked about your issues with Saul. And he, he tried to make us feel as though, you know, you were a wayward, you know, bastard child. And, uh, and he basically didn't give us anything. He insulted us, insulted you, and didn't give us anything. Now, stop for a minute. 
David's killed the giant and he's gone up against Saul. Now, we, do you remember the story earlier when he cut off the corner of Saul's robe? Do you guys remember that? Saul is trying to kill him. Saul threw spears at him. Saul's, Saul's removed him from his family. Saul's taken away his, his identity. Saul has mocked him in, in all of Israel. Saul is ch- bloodthirst chasing him with 3,000 crack troops. Saul is after David, and all David does is cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And, and with Goliath, he's prayerful, and he's, he's firm and resolute. He doesn't go out there in anger. And, and you see with Saul, he doesn't react. He responds isn't it amazing how, how calm and collected and controlled we are when we're out of our element and, and we're really relying upon God? But how churlish or, or how, how short-fused we become with those who are beneath us? Those that we can, we can portray our power and authority over? And, and we want to exercise that. What, who is this guy? I'm sorry, what? He doesn't know me? Oh, he's going to, he'll, he'll know who David is. And David doesn't even waste any time. He, he, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. Nabal screwed up. And here's why. He got David on a really bad day. Samuel died. And David's getting a little tired of living out in the wilderness without any food and it's a feast day and he doesn't have nothing. He's tired of the citizens of Keilah betraying him and now it's time to cash in and he figures Nabal of all the people we guarded his sheep for months. It's time to get a little what's due me. David sends his men to go get it. They come back insulted. David's insulted and that fuse is lit and David's angry and he's gonna pull that trigger. What's the acronym they use? Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, halt. That's when you're prone to do the worst things you can imagine. When you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. I don't know about you, but that's me all the time. I'm always hungry. <laughs> Something makes me angry. Typically, you get lonely for one thing or another. Tired? <laughs> but I'm talking about when all of them are kind of in there. And you're, you're prone to do things that aren't natural to your character or or don't reflect the Lord and that cup of flesh spills over. And so when they come back, the first thing that David says is, he says, every man gird his sword, every man arm up. And then they're like, okay. So every man girded their sword and David also girded his sword. About 400 men went with David, 200 stay with the supplies. So 400 go, 200 stay back. And, uh, you know, remember, do you remember the hit song on Israeli radio? Do you remember it? Saul is slain as thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Now the song has a new refrain. Saul has killed his, his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands and one pitiful farmer. <laughs> the song just isn't going to ring true anymore. With 400 crack troops, David killed a farmer. With 400 crack troops, David killed a farmer. I don't even know how to sing it. The farmer will die, the farmer will die. Hi-ho, David, the farmer. Something like that in that realm there. And so 400 men go to kill one farmer. A little bit of an overkill. He's going to feel the wrath of David. I'm done with this. I'm sick of, and, and, and I got to back up a little bit. Come on, join with me. If you're married, you're going to get this. 
You ready? Toilet paper is the wrong way on the roll. And the reaction has nothing to do with the toilet paper. Right? That's just the trigger. That's the fuse. Oh, that's it. Or you go into use the restroom and there's no toilet paper on the roll. Oh, that's it. Who left this? And it's like, you know, Queeg, uh, who ate the strawberries? And you, you don't know that. It's Kane mu- Mutiny. You got it. Kane <laughs> Mutiny. Right. Okay. <laughs> Two of us. <laughs> it's a movie. Humphrey Bogart. Stop. They're going to think we're weird. They already do. But that one thing triggers everything else that has been built up. You were back there collecting blue chip stamps for quite a while until that toilet paper roll ran out. And now you're going to collect on all of it. And, and this has nothing to do with Nabal or the fact he didn't give any goat. And it's one guy. And, and the reaction doesn't fit what happened. Dave is going to go kill a farmer. He's angry because Samuel's dead. He's angry because Keilah. He's angry at Saul. Jonathan is gone. His, his wife has been taken from him. The, the people have mocked him. He hasn't seen his family. He's living on the dirt. He, he's in a cave. He's questioning his leadership because he could have killed Saul and this could have been over. Everybody else is wondering what he's doing. He's just, he's just done. He's just frustrated. And the toilet paper roll is empty. Right? And he just goes nuts. I have sat in my office and heard the most stupid reasons why people are angry with each other. I remember a husband and a wife arguing. And the topic of argument was this is what got him angry. What weighs more, a pound of bricks or a pound of feathers? And, and the wife insisted that the bricks weighed more. And the husband was telling her how stupid she was. Now granted, for those of you who are wondering, they weigh the same, they're both a pound. Maybe what has more mat or I don't know, yeah, volume but what weighs more? And here's the other part. He wasn't even angry at her response. He was angry at his mother-in-law's response who defended her daughter by saying, so you're telling me that a pound of wet feathers isn't heavier than a pound of dry feathers? First of all, I'm thinking to myself, this guy married no Abigail. Right? But I personally think, after I met the mother in law, I personally think she knew what she was doing. She knew her daughter and she knew how to keep that going because she didn't like him. And I'm watching this whole thing and, and it's just dysfunction written everywhere. And they're arguing over. I remember having an argument with John Overstreet, my roommate, because he would break the noodles before he'd boil them for spaghetti, and I'm going, that is a waste of time. No, you get more, and it cooks faster. 
I don't know it doesn't. You do that because your pot's too small. We have a big pot. Use the bi- I like long noodles. Well, you do it your way and I'll do it mine. But we only have one pot. And he throws them in. I throw mine in. We're like pulling out the noodles we like. And he's, we argued. It had nothing to do with noodles. I was just angry at him because he wouldn't clean the bathroom. He wouldn't pay his rent on time. I didn't like his music. He was a stoner. I, there's all kinds of reasons. But it came down to the noodles. That's the ground we found to argue. So I want, I want you to know something. It has nothing to do with the toilet paper roll. And, and you, got, you should have diffused it a lot long, longer down the, you know, you should have dealt with it earlier. Uh, we, we had a run in a couple meetings and I, this week I've had a few of them that were fun. Uh, and, and I'm looking at it going, I don't think this has anything to do with what you're talking about. No, it really doesn't. I'm upset and a whole bunch of other reasons. Okay. Well, let's, let's get to it then. That's where you endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know why you don't want to talk about it? And you just kind of sweep it away? It's because you don't want to deal with it. But you're going to deal with it down the road when the toilet paper rolls empty. It's all going to come. It'll, it'll rise to the surface if you don't deal with it. It comes back. And so he's angry. He girds up these swords and he goes out to kill him. I'll hurry up here. Verse 14. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. Uh, and, and actually, the, this is where you get the term, he railed on him. That, that's, that's the term in the King James in verse 14. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day. All the time they were with them, keeping the sheep, now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he's such a scoundrel. Actually, the term in the King James, I love it, is son of Belial. His servant is calling him the son of a devil in front of his wife. And she doesn't <laughs> correct him. <laughs> you know why? Because he is. You know Speak the truth in love, but the reality is you're, you're hot-tempered. Yes, dear, you are. Mm-hmm. Well, I, no, see, I'm just showing you. And he says, for he is such a, a son of Belial that one cannot speak to him. He doesn't even communicate. It's my way or the highway. Shut up and do as you're told. I am in charge here. I don't need you telling me anything. Now, I contrast that. This is... You know, Nabal's reputation is, is as vast as his herds on the hillside. Nobody likes him. They all call him son of Belial. They all call him son of the devil. He doesn't listen. He doesn't communicate. He's mean. He's churlish. They got every, every comment you can think of. His own servants consider him worthless. This is his reputation. You contrast that with Abigail's reputation. She's a woman who is as wise as her husband is a fool. Her discernment is the ability to read people and situations and act according to what's best. She was a woman with discernment. She could read people and situations. And, and here Nabal is being blatantly selfish and he has, he's lit David's short fuse that has occurred with a whole bunch of other things right head on. And, and I, I, I put down a couple things. Nabal reacted, Nabal reacted with prideful emotion, right? Who is David? Who's David? Who's his son of Jesse? 
Who's this guy who rebels against his master? Like, I got to feed him. Who's that punk? And it's prideful emotion he's reacting to. Abigail, in contrast, responds with God-centered discernment. He, it, Nabal thinks only of himself. My, my, my. And she considers everyone involved. She listens to the servants. She's understanding who David is. She knows who her husband is. She knows what's going to transpire. And Abigail stayed with Nabal regardless. I want to say this to some of the younger folks as well. She had, a, she had an awful husband. Awful. Awful husband. She stayed with him. Doesn't say he beat her. Doesn't say that he, but he was awful. There's all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't want to live in a house like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying you should stay in a home of an abusive husband. The Bible even says in regards to a spouse or a wife, it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop than in a home with a contentious spouse. And then it goes on to say it's better to live in the wilderness. It's like the rooftop doesn't even work. Just get out there. Just, just. And, and, if, and if they're abusive and they beat you and all those other things, get out of the house. Separate yourself. And, and then if it, there's no, and the Bible says bear fruit in accordance with repentance. And they go, I swear I'll never do it again. I, that's great. I forgive you, but I want to start seeing some fruit. And if somebody comes and he says, I, 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 I'm wrong. I did all that. I, I agree. Well, that's great. I am glad that you've acknowledged that. Now you've got to start building back the trust aspect. And so we'll start to see some, you've got to fill that bank account again because you drained it. You see this, this is a black eye. You drained that bank account. It's going to take a while to fill that. And we can go and have lunch in public places and we can, you know, and we'll still work with the bank accounts and things of that sort. But let me just see how you're, I don't want to see how well you're doing at work because you're a hothead there. I mean, it translates everywhere you go. So you start to build that relationship again. Abigail stayed with him. And for the young people, I want to say this. You know why she was in this marriage? It was arranged. Her, her parents made her marry the guy. Probably a big dowry. That's how she ended up with a fool. Let me tell you how you're going to end up with a fool. You won't have your parents to blame. This will be your fault. Because you didn't want to wait, and he's so cute, or she's so pretty, or, you know, I, I, he's kind of a Christian. He has a cross on his chest. It's a, it's a really cool tattoo. It's not quite a cross, but it looks like one. I mean... <laughs> And, and you, you have every reason why you don't want to be lonely and you're going to take matters into your own hands. And I got news for you. You're, you're, already, you're already in an arranged relationship with the Lord. And, and when he gives you that permission, it's going to come with the blessings of your parents. And uh, that's, that's the ideal picture. Strive for that. Seek that. Because if you end up with a Nabal, and I, trust me, I have... I, I've sat with folks that I go, where'd you guys meet? Man, we were lit in Vegas and we woke up next to each other after we, I, the last thing I remember was um, the Elvis Chapel. And, uh, well, welcome to married life. So you end up with a Nabal by your own doing. 
be, be wise and discerning and wait upon the Lord. And he'll, you know, it says that Adam rested in the Lord and, and God took a, a, a bone from his side, fashioned the woman and brought the woman to the man while he was sleeping. The, the picture for all you young folks is just rest in the Lord. Don't be anxious. Be anxious in nothing. Rest in the Lord and God will bring you that spouse. Now, some people say, wait, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you'll, the, the Lord will bring that woman by. He'll turn your head a little bit, but you go right back to the Lord and say, is that the one? Don't move my heart, Lord, until I know that's the one. And you'll go through that. Don't take it into your own hands and go, you know what? Other guys are moving in on her, and if I, you know, I'm gonna, I'll show, and I got the... Wait on the Lord. Wait on him. Be anxious in nothing. Amen? Uh, a couple of other things with Abigail. Um, she heads off the conflict with David. Abigail could have thought, wow, God works in mysterious ways. I hope my husband's passing will be quick and painless. You know, it's like, go get him, David. Ta, 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 ta. Oh, I just love him. And the way his muscles rippled when he was stabbing my husband. Oh, woof. I just think he's amazing. <laughs> Abigail considers the consequences of David's rash action. She's concerned about his welfare as well as her husband's. Not only does Abigail show discernment, she shows great courage. She stands in front of David. She lays prostrate before David. She goes out and puts herself in between David and her husband. I mean, she's, got, she, she's in the middle of a conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Results of Abigail's use of discernment. Abigail shows great diplomacy and tact. She calls herself David's maidservant, and you'll see this six times in the text. She calls David my Lord 14 times in the text. She shows humility by interceding on the behalf of her husband without excusing his foolishness. She's not, she's not making excuses for her husband. She's just interceding. She says, that's the man I'm married to, good or bad. He's my husband. You know, it's like Jonathan. David, David could learn from Jonathan a lot of things because Jonathan stood by Saul even though Saul was a fool by his own admission. She displays her faith in God by taking care of the future king of Israel, David. And it's a story of courage and grace in the, in the entirety of this passage. And I love the idea that it ends romantically. It ends romantically because Abigail becomes David's wife. I think she's kind of stoked with the outcome of that. I'll, I'll add this too, that where there's discernment, as with Abigail, where there's discernment, there'll be no need, in a sense, when there's discernment, there'll be no need for a great show of strength. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's amazing how a woman can be rightly placed in the midst of men who have just lost all perspective and this animal instinct of ego has taken over and they just stay and stop it. And it's amazing how a woman can fuel that man I go, you kill him, kill him. But this idea of a gentle answer, not fiery debates or manipulative uh, attacks. You just, there's, there's no manipulation in Abigail. You're, you're gonna see, she's just sweet. And it turns away this wrath of David. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll just conclude with a quick look at it. Abigail, verse 18, made haste. She had 100 loaves of bread, verse 18, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, loaded them on donkeys. She had an amazing kitchen. And this woman is on it. She's like, do this, do this, get that done. Let's get these cakes on here. I want those things. And let's go, chop, chop. She managed her household well. She was ready in that aspect 
for whatever was necessary for her husband's well-being. She got that saddled and ready to roll. She said to her servants, go on before me. See, I'm coming after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. Now, I have to tell you something. There are times where you tell your spouse something and times that you don't. There's discernment in that. Oftentimes I've shared that the circle of sin is a circle of repentance or the circle of confession. If it's secret, it's between you and the Lord. If it's private, it's between you and the person that was affected. If it's public, it's a public. And that's that idea of, you know, there, there are things that people will confide in Michelle that she won't tell me. They've asked, don't, please don't tell anyone. She won't tell me. I'm good with that. Even though the Bible says the two shall become one flesh, that doesn't mean that, that the confidence that somebody entrusts to her is going to be revealed in me. And vice versa. If somebody tells me, it doesn't go to Michelle if that's what their request is. And so this is, this is what you see with Abigail. And so, so it was, she rode on that donkey uh, that she went down under the cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. She knew which route they take. She knew where to find them. She's a sharp woman. She's got discernment. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. And, uh, <clears throat> and may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. In the King James, it, it says, I don't even know if I should say it. Uh, may God do so more also to the enemies of David if I leave one man who's, uh, 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 he who's, who has to stand while he pisseth. That's King James. That's why we don't read that anymore. I like one male. That works better. Tracking me? Okay, good. Mm. Have you ever seen that sermon? It's one of the worst sermons ever given. It's on YouTube. You ever seen it? It's awful. He, he who standeth while he... It's the title of the sermon. No, no, he's, okay. Well, I'll give you the whole context of it. He thinks it's the feminization of men that like in Europe and Asia and everywhere else, they make men sit down now in the restrooms. And he is, he is taking offense to that based on this passage of scripture. I'm like, man, you got problems, bro. Okay. Um, now when Abigail, Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel, the son of Belial. Um, for as his name is, so is he. I mean, she's, she's saying he's a fool. I mean, everybody knows it. His reputation goes before him. I'm not, I'm not questioning that. I'm not defending that. He's still my husband. And, and I stand by him. And you know what? I'm grateful for Abigail because that's given Michelle the ability to stay by me all these years. I'm just going to say that right there. And uh, folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself, with your own hand. Now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. I hope all your enemies, you know, anyone who tries to come against you, David, is a fool just like my husband is. But, and now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Now David understands forgiveness. 
He's going to need this in time. Right? And, and Abigail's going to understand forgiveness. Right? She's extending it and she sees that this guy has some issues and she's married to a man that has issues. And Now this present which your maidservant has brought to you, my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. She even knows David. She has discernment. She knows her husband's a fool and she knows David's a king. And she still lives with a fool. Doesn't mean she's dumb, it means she's faithful. And you know why she has discernment? Because she's lived long enough serving a fool that she knows how to discern what one looks like. And she's lived so long serving a fool that she's able to see what a king looks like. And she's lived so long serving a fool that any portion of fool that resided in her was taken out a long time ago. And the reason why Saul is chasing David is because God is taking Saul out of David. And that's what God's doing with every one of us. And he's got you in a relationship in some capacity with somebody who's going to remove those areas of your life that don't bring God any glory. And for Abigail, it was Nabal. And Nabal is the one that was used to make this woman who she was. And it was Saul who was used to make David who he was. And Abigail could see in David a king. And he was always doing the right thing. And yet as... Verse nine, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. This is a term that the Hebrews would use with a, uh, a king. It would be, may you be bound in a robe of life. May you be protected. May, may, may secret service agents surround you. May everything you do bring life to everyone around you. She's just saying, David, your life is far more valuable and far more important. You, you don't have to be wasting your time with dumb farmers or dumb ranchers. This is so beneath you, David. You, don't have, you have no idea what God has in store for you. You are going to be the next king of Israel. Don't screw it up with this mistake. Don't do it. You're capable of it. It's within you, but that, that's not your destiny. Don't allow these little things to ruin what God has in store for you out here. And she says, may you be wrapped in this idea of life. And... Uh, where did I leave off? 30? Um, he shall sling it out as from the pocket of a sling. Verse 30, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done from my Lord according to all that is good that he has spoken concerning you has appointed your, you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you, no offense of my heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. David, God's got this. I've lived with a man long enough. God's not going to let me lose. I've served him faithfully. I'm not going to be on the, the short end of this stick. I've lived long enough to realize that, that God controls the affairs of men. David, move on. This guy isn't worth your time. He's not worth your frustration. He's not worth you being angry over. What, what he's got in store for you is so much bigger than this waste of time. And David, I'll be here and remember me because I think the world to you. And God will take care of my husband. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Forgiveness is putting the consequences of the, of the person who hurt you, putting their, the consequences of their actions in the hands of God. So you don't have to worry about it anymore. David, forgive Nabal, move along. Let God deal with the consequences of what he's done here today. 
Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. I want to stop there for a minute in application. We've got just a few minutes left. I want to stop there for a minute for application. David said to Abigail, he said, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, you you think about how most of the issues in the church could be diffused if somebody just brought the two warring parties together in discernment. This has nothing to, David, this, David, you're angry. Listen, take all, have the raisin cakes. Here's some sheep. You know it's not about the sheep. You know it's not about the raisin cakes. What's, What's wrong with you? Instead of joining on the sides, you're right, he is a scoundrel. I've lived with him my whole life. Let's just stick it to him. Kill him, David, kill him. Just kill him. And, and then you get what you want. And you're set free from the trials of your life. And somebody's bleeding. Let God deal with it. Just mend it. Step in there like Abigail. You hear somebody whispering about somebody else. Stop them. Say, come on, let's, let's go. I know that person. Don't, they're, they're, they're reasonable. Come with me. And, and I'll be with you while you talk to them. You tell them, oh, I don't want to talk to them. I just want it. Well, then you can't speak about them if you don't speak in person to them. Do you think there'd be any gossip in the church if we applied that? I, I, I think the, the, the thing that hurts the most, and all of us can testify to it, because all of us have received it and all of us have done it, is to hear something someone said about you. What they would say about you to somebody else that they wouldn't say to your face. And you hear that. And then when they're in front of you, they're different. And you're like... And then the other question is, while somebody is saying that, will they... What they're saying about you to somebody else... They'll say to somebody else about you. For example, if, if I'm gossiping to Grant about Brett, you can guarantee, Grant, I'll be gossiping about you to Brett. And so anyone who's doing that is capable of that anywhere else. And if you're doing it or with someone doing it, just stop it. And watch how it heals the body of Christ. Interpersonal relationships will be mended and things will be strengthened. But you know why you typically do it? Because you, you want your world. And so you're manipulating. And nowhere in here does Abigail manipulate. She could have gotten far more with Nabal being dead. Oh, I've served him. He is a jerk. You might as well stick him. It's, somebody else should rule this house. Trust me. I live with him. I know him. Nobody knows him better than I do. Isn't that amazing? The people you get closer to, you're the ones that talk the most, you know, and it's like, whoa. And so here, David just says, God sent you. You are amazing, woman. Blessed is the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, and then it says, for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I jumped ahead. Verse 39 um, so then David heard that Nabal, oh yeah, let's, let's back up. 33. We're almost done. Let's just do it. We'll just go all the way to the end. No, I'm kidding. 
And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me for this day from uh, coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself in my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Let me just share this too. Everyone who served Nabal, were they all necessarily bad because they were serving a bad king? I mean, these guys even knew he's a scoundrel. And the fact that they were working with him realized that they were thankful for David. And they were, they were taking a bad man who may have been good with business dealings or may have been rich or whatever he was, and they were making it better. They were servants to make uh, an, uh, an awful guy better in the community. And, and Abigail was the same. It was like a cushioning device so that this guy could somehow exist in a manner where it would provide for the community. And now David's coming in because he's angry with the head. And now what he's going to do, he's going to kill everybody who serves Nabal. And all these servants would have been dead. And, and Abigail would have been husbandless. And there would have been blood everywhere. And, and that's, that happens too. You, you, you come after somebody, everybody's affiliated with and gets affected. It's not, if it's just about you and your accomplice, it, it destroys everything. Um, and then um, verse 37, is that right? 36. Now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king and Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk and therefore she told him nothing, little or much until morning light. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. And then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. He had a heart attack. (laughs) You did what? She's probably like. (laughs) And, And it took him 10 days to die. I'm thirsty. I can't hear you. I'm thirsty. Mm. Try it again. I'm not quite getting what you're saying. <laughs> she didn't do that. That would have been me. It's like. Uh, verse 39. Then, So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. David sent and proposed to Abigail, take her as his wife. He's like, ah, I'm not make, letting the day pass without that woman. Yeah. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> That's the translation in the Hebrew. She said, here's your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. I'm ready. Mm, woof. That's, that's how it is right there. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey. Ha! Go! You go! And attended by five of her maidens. They're like, we can't keep up with her. Go, go, hurry up. We're going to David's house. Did you see his washboard stomach? Oh my gosh. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took a Hinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. 
He was a player. Huh? He was on a roll. Uh, interesting to note. Yes, there are multiple wives and concubines. But follow the first wife in scripture. All the blessing comes from the first wife. Even when you look at Rachel and Leah. Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Leah was one who made your eyes hurt. That's the translation. She fell out of the ugly tree, hit every branch on the way down. And, they, and, and, and her brother put Leah in the honeymoon suite covered in the burqa and uh, because it was the custom, Laban, he was, he was a prankster and he, he got Jacob back and, and put Leah in the honeymoon suite and so the marriage was consummated and that was the first wife. And it says, behold, in the morning, it was Leah. It's like, behold, it was Leah because he removed the veil. He's like, oh, it's like, hi, honey. Just saying, that's how it was. And what's fascinating about it is you, you follow all the children that are born to the handmaids and, and the children that are, you know, Benjamin is born to Rachel and on and on and on, Joseph, etc. But you look at Leah's life. She gives birth to a son. She says, now my husband will love me. And then she gives birth to another son. She says, maybe now my husband will love me. She gives birth to another, maybe now my husband. Finally, she gets to Judah and she just says, now I will serve the Lord. And Judah means praise. Now I will praise the Lord. I, I'm not going to wait for my husband to love me. I'm just going to plug into the Lord. Uh, you know, however I ended up in this mess, I'm seeking God. Of all the tribes of, of Jacob, all the tribes of Israel, what is the one tribe where the lineage of Christ came through? It's Judah. Whose name is echoed in the halls of heaven? Judah. Uh, when, when, when Jacob died at the end of his life, he said, bury me with Leah, the love of my life. He came to realize that later. God always honors the first wife. Uh, so yeah, you're going to see this. It's, we're a fallen race. They did what they did. But in this case, God always honors the first wife all through scripture. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. David's going to go back and open up a can and take her back. He's frustrated by it, you know. David's got his faults. He's, he's, uh, he's got his issues. But here in the course of things... It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Abigail. Good stuff.